I wasn't born into what we call a privileged family back in the day. You're listening to the Upper Momentum Podcast, the podcast about telling the stories of individuals who are creating upper momentum. Whether it be life's challenges from unemployment, immigration, to terminal illness, and remembering it's just all a matter of perspective. We would put away our guns of mass destruction and become project managers. I'm your host, Matt Nelson. In this episode, I sit down with Dean Hopkins, a former war veteran originally from the United Kingdom, who after three decades in the military, settled in Canada for retirement. While for some, retirement is kicking back and relaxing, for Dean it's about running his charity One Direction Calgary and taking his leadership skills to City Hall and running for mayor in the 2021 election. I promised myself if I ever witnessed the leaders of our city start to jeopardize the way of life of our children, my friends and neighbors, and the people who live in the city that I've chosen. I could have lived anywhere. I've chosen Calgary. This is the city I'm going to live for the foreseeable future. If I ever witnessed that lack of leadership, then I'd do something about it. Get ready, because it all starts now. I was born into a working class family in the UK. My father was a coal miner. My mother worked hard as a seamstress. Um, I wasn't born into what we call a privileged family back in the day. Uh, I left school at 16 years old. We were expected by the government to follow our fathers uh, in the working class into the coal mines. I decided not to do that. Uh, I joined the military and a boys' military academy. I spent nearly two years in that and then transitioned into a full military career. Now, Matt, when I talk about a full military career, I'm, I'm talking three decades. I did 30 years in the military, rose through the ranks from private soldier, eventually leaving the military uh, on retirement as a commissioned officer. So, Basically, everything I've done throughout my life has been all over the world. I have 57 years of life and leadership, or should I say life experience, 30 years of leadership experience, which has been tried and tested in some of the most diverse and dangerous situations throughout the world. Um, pretty much that's the basics and very quick version of um, who I am, really. Having a career in military, I mean, that's, um, that's I would say, a very impressive feat on itself. What, what drove you to that? When I was a young boy, um, playing in the streets and on the uh, muck stacks of the coal, coal fields with my friends, pretty much I was drawn to anything to do with the army when I was at least 10 years old. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. Um, when I did go into the military, I went into heavy artillery. So I blew a lot of things up over the years. Um, it was just the, the concept of going and helping people throughout the world who were less fortunate or didn't have the stability of leadership. So I, I fought for freedom and rights of many nations. Uh, over the years and as a young boy wanting to help people who couldn't help themselves that was pretty much my driving force of joining the military at a very young age plus I like to shoot guns 
you know, with the idea of, of obviously helping people, you must have really made a difference um, in many people's lives. Um, now, when I tell you, I, I've done peacekeeping missions, I've done counter-terrorist operations, and I've also been in combat operations, multiple uh, combat operations. And once, once war and conflict is, is done, there's always a period of instability because usually the infrastructure of a city, a country, is decimated. Now, not a lot of people know that. The military are responsible for the protection of the people, but also the rebuilding of their basic infrastructure. So we would put away our guns of mass destruction and become project managers. And I've worked in Bosnia, Kosovo, uh, or in, in those countries and ran multi-million dollar um, construction projects to get hydroelectric dams going, hospitals up and running, educational uh, schools, welfare centers, all that kind of stuff. So that's what the military do. And we spend a lot of money um, from the government. But what I specifically um, was passionate about was helping the children of those cities uh, and countries because the fallout from combat and war is a lot of orphans and because they don't have the infrastructure. For the first two months of an operation, after uh, a war had finished, you wouldn't see anybody. You would see the old and the young come out to gather firewood. Uh, and basic provisions, scavenging, because there's no media coverage. They have no communication. So they don't know what's going on in their country. So they see these strange people in combat uniforms with machine guns, and, and they're still a bit standoffish until you have mediation between their, their, um, their leaders, uh, their community leaders, citizens, people who have stepped up to, to come out and talk to you. So my, my focus was helping these people get fed. I've seen the worst, absolute worst man that humanity can do to the human body. Um, and it's not good. And I promised myself many, many years ago, two things. And it was in the early 90s. And I said, eventually, when... When I'm done with my military career, for however long it takes, I promised myself two things. One was to find a peaceful country to live in. The other was to find a city in that country with good, kind people. And all I wanted to do was find a nine to five job with no stress, volunteer all my skills. Well, some of them, uh, some had to be laid to rest after military service. Volunteer all my skills to the people less fortunate than myself with a view to trying to give them the opportunity to raise themselves either out of poverty or just to be able to live a good life. Um, I can tell you, I, I, I retired 10 years ago, over a decade ago, and I came to Canada for a reason. I came to Calgary for a reason. And for the last 10 years, I've been living my dream. 
where uh, I've volunteered in many communities and still do to this day. And um, which brings me on to that second promise I made myself. And it was that because of what I'd seen and witnessed throughout the world, I promised myself if I ever witnessed the leaders of our city start to jeopardize the way of life of our children, my friends and neighbors and the people who'd lived in the city that I'd chosen. I could have lived anywhere. I've chosen Calgary. This is the city I'm going to live for the foreseeable future. If I ever witnessed that lack of leadership, then I'd do something about it. Now, for 10 years, I have visited our council and sat at the back of the room. Oh, by the way, I found that nine to five job and it was working in the maintenance sector of our city. I was a maintenance guy. I say was because I uh, handed in my resignation after nine years of building up their maintenance department in a big organization in the city. Um, I handed in my resignation because I need to be all in with what I'm doing now with the mayoral race and whatever comes next comes next but I was sat at back at council and what it was was I was listening to the budget and this was probably 2018 now now every year before that I would always go I'd take a week off work and go and sit in 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 the uh, stands in uh, council and listen to councillors talk now, because of my past history and leadership, interested in, in what they're talking about, I like to get to know the individuals. And you can do that by how people say things. And I learned a lot about the individuals who were on council throughout those years. And I've done my research on all the present councillors and our present mayor. Um, so I knew exactly um, what usually was going to unfold in council. But the catalyst that pulled the grenade pin on that second promise I made was I was in council 2018 and two ladies, and I'm going to meet these two ladies. I have no clue who they are, but they are responsible for what I've been planning and doing for the last two years, two or three years. So they got up in council and it was a time when oil and gas had left the city and the council were looking to lose $150 million from, from the downtown core. And they were gonna throw it all on the business sector of our city. So uh, business taxes were looking to triple. These ladies were pleading with council that day, saying, please don't raise our taxes too much. Consider the consequences of our business sector and our personal situation. And it's that if you do this, we will have to lay off our employees. We will have to remortgage our homes and still continue to work to put food on the table for our children. It went, their conversation went on for about 35 minutes. And I was really engrossed in how emotional, they were pretty much pleading with council. Then 
they finished and sat down. And then a councillor stood up and started to question them uh, on their finances and whether they actually looked after their finances over the past couple of years adequately. And it went on for a while and then they sat down. And then another councillor stood up and started questioning them on their savings and financial situation. And I just could not believe what I, there was no empathy and no compassion from the council that, that was listening to them. Anyway, that finished. And the mayor closed the conversation down and said, I know who you are, we're going to move on. It was at that precise moment, Matt, I knew exactly what I had to do now. Um, and the grenade pin on that second um, promise uh, had just been pulled. I walked home from downtown uh, to Beddington, where I live in the north, all the way. I didn't get transit. I walked. I had a lot to think about. And I got home and I sat down with my wife. And uh, I said, I, I need to have a chat with you. You don't know this story or what I'm about to tell you, but I've just now got to do this. And we sat down and I explained everything that I've just explained to you. And um, I said, I've got to now financially put every dollar I have in savings and every dollar I earn over the next two years into a startup campaign. I cannot accept any donations from any major conglomerate or financial backing. I need to get to my startup campaign when I go in to hand my papers with no support, apart from volunteers. And that's because once this thing is done, the decisions I'll make for our city will be my decisions drawn upon 57 years of experience 30 years of leadership experience and not some major conglomerate who's donated $5,000 to my campaign. So I, I've done that. And along the way, my wife said to me, she says, who's going to help you? I said, Kim, they will come. And over a two-year period, I have a team of seven, uh, sorry, 14 professionals now. They're all volunteers. And when I started my campaign, I told them, I will not have a campaign manager. This campaign will be run from grassroots campaigning. I will manage it myself, run it myself, and where possible, try to fund it myself. Now, that's what I've been doing for six months every day and the people out here listening to this probably think well I don't know you I've never heard anything about you let's just say why is that why has the media I have social media sites why has the media not jumped on board and said Dean we're really interested in your platform 
what you want to do for the people of our city, your focus on bringing the new council together as a leader and doing better things for our communities. Why has that not happened? It's pushback. We're going to be coming into the, uh, the 20th of September, which is an election period, and people will stand up and take note and look at my platform. I'm a full believer, Matt, in the power of the people. Uh, I'm going to go wherever this takes me. And that's because I said I would do this many years ago. So there's, there was, from one little conversation there, you've gone on a bit of a journey. Uh, I'll let you ask another question. <laughs> well, you, you talked, um, I'm curious to know more about uh, leadership because you kind of touched on it. And, and naturally we see all kinds of things around the world with leadership, but what does leadership mean to you? Leadership means to me that me being a leader in general, it's a person who takes into consideration all the factors that are facing, they're problem solvers, but it's how they solve those problems and how they inspire others to follow them through their morals and their, the way they carry themselves, the way they speak, what they speak about and how they resolve issues and how they bring the best out in their team or people. You know, a leader is someone who identifies the special attributes of individuals. And everybody, as soon as you're over five years old, let's just say you're all damaged goods. Um, and a leader can identify how damaged you are, whether it's personal, um, work-related, whether it's just a generation thing or how, how, how old you are. But they can identify what you can bring that is good to a team to do better things as a group and use those skills and encourage those skills to resolve issues better. I am not the most intelligent man in the world. I just know a lot about things and I know a lot about leadership. And for many years, I have had soldiers not want to do specific things. But as a leader, a good leader, you can get people with the right motivation uh, and the right focus and direction um, to do things they wouldn't usually do in normal life. And it's all about bringing a team together, uh, having defined a defined aim, mission and objective, and resolving problems together. Uh, and that's pretty much my vision of a leader. You mentioned you're able to get these, these 17 volunteers to support you. How, how were you able to, to get people? I mean, most people have a hard enough time getting, getting people to work for them, but you well, were able was... to get volunteers. <laughs> this was pretty free. Uh, I wouldn't say freaky, it's just weird, because I will, I'll give you an example. My media and marketing group, I have a, a friend who was in the military with me. His daughter moved over here, and I've pretty much looked 
looked in on her occasionally. And then one day, it was probably, this was probably six months prior to me um, even developing my website. Um, I was speaking to her and she says, oh, I've just started a new job. I said, oh, that's great. Who's it with? And she told me, she said, oh, maybe you tell your boss about me. And it was a marketing and media group. So she went and spoke to her boss. And he said to her, these were his words, oh, my God, I really want to get involved in something like this uh, this year. I've been meaning to do it for months and months, but haven't had the opportunity. Give me uh, an idea of his website. Well, my website at that time was in the process of being completed by another young lady and uh, who was a volunteer and who was actually a student. And uh, so she gave him the website. He looked at my website. Uh, he said he was interested. So I said, right, we'll have a chat. Now, Matt, when I talk to people, uh, this is pretty much an anomaly, me and you talking over the internet. I really do like to meet people for the first time, look at them in the eyes and see the color of their souls before I do anything with them. I can pretty much work out the caliber of a person within 10 minutes. It's just an old trick I used to have many years ago. But uh, I went and met this guy, called him Corey, and we sat down and we, I told him what I was going to do for our city. And he said, these were his words, I will help you. And that was it. Um, and all the work he's doing in my media and marketing um, is volunteered. So that was just one situation. Then I have a logistics officer who's running um, the guys around, putting signs up, taking signs. Another volunteer from my past, he came and he said, I want to help. I went, you're just the man I've been looking for. And uh, he came in and he's volunteered that volunteer coordinator. Uh, I have a group of five ladies, all people from my past that I've touched uh, in some way or another with their lives. And they all came together and uh, are working with all my volunteers. Um, yeah, that's it, they, it just happened. I haven't had to specifically sit down and and persuade them initially it's something that i've done in our city in the past decade that has touched these people in some way or another and now they're united and coming towards and, and have approached me because they believe i'm going to be doing something for the greater good of the people of our city you touched on um this idea of, of really impacting uh, other people's lives and, and whatnot. So sounds to me like really part of being a strong leader is that that legacy you leave on people. Yeah. Um, I trained recruits back in the early nineties. And, and I'll just give you an example. Um, as a, a drill sergeant, uh, I would meet the young soul, uh, young recruits at the train station. And I see them, and from all walks of life, 
you'd have some with suits you've had uh, uh, in suits and cases you'd have other people with just a plastic bag with their life in those bags now i had eight weeks to transform them from civilian to a basic soldier and we do that in eight weeks and at the end of the eight weeks uh, when they were all ready and to march out onto the parade square in front of their families who haven't seen them in some cases for eight weeks I used to get the hairs on the back of my head stand up but before they actually marched out I would address every soldier that I trained and say to them gentlemen ladies you've spent eight weeks here this experience will stay with you for the rest of your life. I may, I may or may not forget about you um, within six weeks because I'll have other recruits coming out, but you will never forget who I am and what I have done for you. And let's now, that's what I used to say to all my recruits over a two year period. I trained thousands of soldiers. Let's jump forward 20 years. So, no, let's, let's jump forward to me being living in Canada for five years after my retirement. And one of my friends was going for a job downtown. And uh, he calls me during his job interview. He said, Dean, um, I'm on a job interview with a guy sat in front of me and uh, we got talking about uh, rugby and various other things and he said he was in the military and I said I said I, ha I have a friend in the military and this guy said who was interviewing me said uh, oh I was in heavy artillery and then he said my friend was in heavy artillery and then he said um, oh he was in Germany during the cold war he said, I was in Germany during the Cold War. And he said, he said, Dan, my, my friend's name's Dean Hopkins. And this guy who was interviewing, he said his face turned pale. He went, oh, my God. He was my training instructor. And he put me on the phone with this guy. And I do remember this young man because he actually left recruiting and came um, to my unit prior to our deployment during Operation Desert Storm. But he only stayed in the military for about three years. But it's just bizarre that people uh, further down the line, you touch their lives and you, you, you don't realise how you've touched them. And then the way I've always done things, whether it's uh, looking after orphans in different countries or training other soldiers in different countries, the concept of rugby and teamwork and motivation and leadership and tactics, it's just been a, a job, a mission, an objective. And then I've moved on to something else. But it's really nice that occasionally throughout my history, there's been a number of awesome situations like that uh, and I could give you another example but I don't know how how much time you've got okay well that's um that sounds very impactful it sounds really that 
you know, often people don't really realize the impact we have on each other and that something Correct. so simple yeah. can really, if you will, change a life. So I want to kind of move into the, like with that in mind, you know, um, you know, you and I had first met you, you know, there's something big that you've done. Um, you know, you, you mentioned your military career, but that you really wanted to make a difference in this city. And, and with that, you've, you've got your own charity. Correct. Um, so I'd like to hear, like you to share a little bit more about that. All right. So when I did come to the city many years ago, I'm a big Christmas guy. I love Christmas. And it's not, to me, it's not about the religion. It's all about helping the children have an experience during the festive season of all religions. So when I came, came to Calgary, I wanted to find a charity to volunteer that to, whatever they did at Christmas, I found a charity called the Magic of Christmas. And I still volunteer for this charity every year to this day. But um, it was awesome. And it really let me see how much poverty is still in our communities. Now, after seeing so much poverty throughout the world in war-torn countries and countries that have had leaderships toppled, um, I was really saddened and really disappointed to see so much poverty in our communities, even to this day. And going out and doing charitable work and, and volunteering, even if it was a, seemed to be a short-term fix to go and give um, donations to change the demeanor of a household for one day on Christmas Eve uh, as Santa Claus. Um, and that's what I did uh, initially uh, to start off my volunteerism in Calgary and then I volunteered for other charities and then other charities and it just had a knock-on effect but as times went on I saw the dysfunction in in charities in general that they didn't work together and that was because of the finances it's all about the money and how much money they can get to to make do what they do and there just seemed to be no lifeline coming from the city. It was all through grants or donations, push, push, push. And then some of the management of organizations who become empire builders, don't, uh, a resistance to other charities working with other charities. So I got really... Um, frustrated with all this I've worked in management and I know in terms of leadership how doing things together you can do more so I decided that I would launch a new charity called One Direction Calgary now One Direction Calgary has a focus and it's a focus on bringing different charities in our city together to mediate a packed sort of thing to work together to collaborate to do better things together for the people of our communities and city one direction calgary is not focused on on donations and this is what makes us different we're focused on helping people and i class 
the charity has been like the United Nations of charities in Calgary, where if someone, you don't have to be a charity, you could be an organization or just one good person trying to do something good in our city. And there's a saying on our website, helping good people do good things in our city. And that was my focus. And the two of the directors that are with me, they're, they're fully on board with what I developed. And I've visited many charities throughout our city, Matt, and spoke to their directors uh, to find out what they're, when I go to speak to a charity to find out exactly what they do, um, I ask them, what is your bottom line of administration fees? That's how much of the money that is donated actually goes to the people who get it. And I'll, I could talk about some charities that have overheads of 60, 60 70%. So like only 30% actually goes to the people who need it. Um, and that's because these big charities get large donations from corporations. And they have people they employ and directors who get paid positions. I'll just say, One Direction Calgary, the directors get nothing. They're all volunteer positions. Uh, everything that we do helps people in our city. But if they have large overheads, then I'm not interested. So I, I have a, a few people who are on our website and we help them out. And I'll give you an example. We have a, a community artist, Vania. Now she's been with us for about two years. And relentlessly, she before COVID, she would go into um, senior care facilities and teach the seniors art. That's, she's an arty person. Um, and... When COVID hit, she was looking at other ways to connect with schools and the rest of the population and her community to do our project to take. Um, she did one project last year. And this year, because she was not uh, a nonprofit charitable organization of which One Direction is, she couldn't get access for grants or anything like that. Now, literally last week, we submitted uh, a grant to the city and she was approved for her first community grant to uh, run a work, uh, an art project with Earl Grey School downtown. And they're going to be doing uh, some community art uh, around the school. So what happens, the, the funds come to the charity, we then donate it to the artist, and they go do their work. Uh, uh, so we're pretty much working in collaboration with artists and groups and charities. So that's, that's going to happen within the next few weeks, that project. But this is what we do. Um, and should I become the mayor, this is what I'll still continue to do. Um, it's how I relax, believe it or not. I have another group, the Hogging Veterans Ranch up near Caroline. They have 120 acres and they are developing a facility there that will allow veterans suffering with mental health issues due to PTSD, a place to go relax um, away from the hustle and bustle of city life.
Now, this week, I'm taking time out from campaigning, pulling together volunteers from One Direction Calgary. We're going up there. We're going to be uh, cutting a trail from their camp location through a, a wooded, densely wooded area to a river. And we're going to develop a, a three kilometer trail where veterans can just go for a walk along the river and reflect on life, maybe sit down and go fish. But my volunteers will be hacking away at the undergrowth and I'll be putting, bringing them together, running the project, giving them a quality volunteer experience. And we sit down at the end of the day around a fire, have a drink and talk about life. Uh, that's pretty much how I relax. So should I not be in City Hall in the future? That's where I'll be, doing volunteerism. I, I love it. So you mentioned something really kind of important there. I just want to touch on this briefly. You know, mental health has been such an important thing. And what I what I would say is unique is for the first time in, in many people's lifetime, this has really become front and center, especially, you know, you mentioned COVID and all this sort of stuff. So, but it's something that in the military has been a challenge for years. Um, what lessons do you think people can learn from, from military experience in terms of, of how, how to work better with that? A lot of it's to do with self-reflection. Now, as you can imagine, after 30 years of military service, and uh, there's going to be some fallout from that mentally. And I'll tell you now, I had PTSD issues, but it didn't end until I handed in my ID card uh, and relinquished the leadership responsibilities that I had for over two, three hundred soldiers. The dreams, the recurring nightmares and things. So it was like a micro switch. It just happened. And the soldiers and military people out there can empathize with what I'm saying here. Now, <clears throat> to deal with that, I have never throughout my life had any therapy. Um, I did self-therapy. My wife said to me, Dean, You've got so many stories. Why don't you write a book? And it was through self-reflection and writing a story, uh, truthful accounts of everything I'd experienced throughout my life that eventually it took me six years. Um, all the dreams went away. Uh, so my advice, I'm no therapist, is come to, you, you can never get rid of your mental health issues. You can learn to live with them. Now, some people may be on medication and I'm not even gonna go down there. Um, it's whatever their doctor or counselor prescribes, but self-reflection, coming to terms with your past and maybe writing down the story the account, putting it all into a book and putting it away. Let the nightmares and the demons go into your writing. It worked for me. It might work for other people. Um, 
the my past and what I've done is I've done a lot of self-reflection, Matt, and it's made me the humanitarian that I am today. We're, we're, we're no angel. We've all been through the grinder at some stage in our life. It just, we are not that person anymore. We are who we are from our past. Uh, and that's how I did what I did. If it helps anyone out there, then maybe you should do the same and see what happens. Okay. Well, one last uh, question for you there, Dean. Um, actually, a couple of questions for you. Just curious, what, what do you see the best way for us to create more upward momentum in our world? Everything takes time, but you need a good base. And if you don't have the ground, grounding to move forward, if it's all chaos, uncertainty, if you don't have a pillar, a rock, when it comes specifically to leadership, then you will jump in and out of situations and it'll be frustrating. Uh, you need someone in a position of leadership who does what they're going to do when they say what they're going to do. Uh, idle promises. Uh, we've really got a um, structure at all levels of government. And everything starts from the bottom and works up. So it takes me into the, the uh, situation with our municipality and uh, then our province and then our federal government. Everything starts at grassroots. From there, whatever goes forward, goes forward. I am not a visionary, Matt. I am a realist. I'll only tell you what I can achieve within four years. Um, I won't go beyond that because I'm not telepathic uh, and I'm not a clairvoyant. So I would say it's all to do with leadership, good quality leadership. And um, I'm just going to say we don't have any. Well, Dean, I want to thank you for your time joining me today uh, and your insights from your, your past experience, your leadership lessons and, and everything in between. If anybody's interested in getting involved with One Direction Calgary or maybe looking, maybe they're inspired to start One, One Direction in their city, uh, what's the best way to reach you? All you need to do is go to my website. Uh, there's One Direction Calgary as a website. And also I would say to everybody out there, please do visit my campaign website for the mayoral uh, elections, Dean Hopkins at, <clears throat> sorry, deanhopkinsyyc.ca. Just become informed with everything that's going on. Uh, and that's pretty much all I can say, Matt. Okay, well, Dean, thanks so much. Uh, and for anybody who wants to get in touch with Upward Momentum, you can find us on LinkedIn, Twitter, as well as Instagram. Thanks again for listening and stay tuned for more episodes.